So how many of you have ever been whitewater rafting? Anybody? Anybody whitewater rafting? Well, my wife and I, we celebrated our 13th anniversary um, of being married for 13 years just uh, a couple weeks ago. And we decided for an anniversary trip, we would go to the U.S. National Whitewater Center over in Charlotte. The place is awesome. I know some people do like romantic getaways, um, but Joanne and I, we decided, hey, for our anniversary, let's do something uh, fun. So we went all day, and you can whitewater raft, you can zip line, you can um, do rock climbing, mountain biking. We did like everything all in one day. It was awesome. And we went whitewater rafting. It was a blast, uh, but I don't know if, if you've ever been, but uh, sometimes it can be a little dangerous. And the guy that we had, he was, he was awesome, but I, he, was, he was crazy. So, um, but, and Dran and I, we decided to sit up in the front because we want to have fun. We want to get wet. And so he's like, you want to get wet? We're like, yes, we want to get wet. So we sat up in the front of the boat, and he, did, he kept doing what was called surfing. Have you ever done that in a raft where they, they point uh, up to the rapids, and they get... Um, like nose down into like a big wave and because of the current it actually circulates it'll you, you kind of stay in the same spot you don't move down you stay in the same spot and then he'll drive you he'll maneuver the boat so that the nose like actually will dive under the water and water just pours over on top of you well he did it a couple times and we thought it was really funny he's like he's like now we're going to get crazy and we're like okay so Joanne and I in the front we he makes you sit down on the bottom of the boat and water, not just sprays, but just pour. I mean, this, like the whole river just poured onto Joanna and I in the middle of this boat. And um, Joanna, like, I, I'm, look, I'm trying to look over, and I see her. She's just covered, like, in water, just water straight in her face. And she starts to fly out of the boat. I'm feeling like I'm about to fly out of the boat. But I grab her, and we're, like, just barely hanging on. We feel like we're barely hanging on for our life. He pulled us out of surfing, and we kept going down. And Joanna was, like, she had, like, just breathed in the river. Like, she couldn't breathe. I, I thought we were going to have to, like, pull over and uh, do the Heimlich on her because she had just sucked in so much water. She was coughing. It was, it was like kind of crazy it was a lot of fun probably more fun for me but for her i don't think she enjoyed that part um but it was it was interesting because when we're rafting it was a blast but yes rafting is dangerous and we went through our raft training i don't know if you've ever if you've done that they take you like to the little class before you go and in the class they say okay here's a life jacket you you buckle it. Here's a paddle. You hold it. You paddle. But then they spent like 10 minutes training us how to save people if they fall out of the boat. They taught us about how like they would call swimmer if somebody was out of the boat. And he's like, you know, if, you, if someone is out there swimming, either they're just going for a casual swim or they fell out of the boat. So um, if we call swimmer, you, you need to try to get them out because it's dangerous if we're on our way to rapids and stuff like that. We want to try to get them back in the boat as quickly as possible. And they teach you all the techniques for saving people. But the whole class was about how to save people if they fall out of the boat. Why do we spend our whole, like, out of 15 minutes, 10 minutes of the training trying to tell us how to save people when they fall out of the boat? Well, the reason why is because, guess what? People fall out of the boat. And when they do, it's kind of dangerous because they're in the middle of rapids and they can get hurt, they can drown, things like that. So, so they spend all their time and energy saying, hey, we want to teach you how to get people back in 
the boat. That's what the training was about. We've been um, in this series in the book of James, and James is going to talk about getting people back in the boat. We've, we've walked over the last thing. It's been seven weeks now in the book of James, and I don't know if you guys have enjoyed it at all, if you've been along through the journey of the book of James. I know that I've loved it. It's been an incredible book. And today we find ourselves at the end of chapter 5. And yes, I'm skipping over the whole part of chapter 5, and we're going to talk about just the last two verses of chapter 5 today. And there's a bunch of cool stuff in chapter 5 about uh, money and praying for people who are sick and trusting in God. But um, today we're just going to focus on the last two. And what I want you to do is is I'll trust you to go home and read the rest of that passage and and focus on that. But today we're just reading the last two verses and it's James chapter 5 verses 19 and 20. Now, if you've been, again, with this series, you've learned something about James. And if you're not, I'll just tell you, the book of James um, oftentimes has been called the ouch book. It's a book that um, James is in your face. He tells you how it is. And he says, listen, this is how you need to live. This is what you're supposed to do. That's why I've called this series Life Apps, because it is very application driven. It is this is how you should live. And it's almost in a way like if, if you don't do this, then you're, you're not a believer. He doesn't really say that, but, but man, he's... He really pushes people on how they live because he says, listen, if you're not living it, you're not believing it. So if you're not living like a Christian, then you must not believe like a Christian. So he really pushes hard on that. But then at the very end, these last two verses, you see him have this, this new heart and compassion. And let's, let's jump in and read it real quick. Verse 19. Uh, He starts out like this, my brothers and sisters. Now, remember, I told you the very first week, if you were here, that when he says my brothers and sisters, it's him kind of that that's his I'm coming around you. I'm putting my arm around you and I'm giving you a a, a serious plea. I I want you to hear me. I want you to to understand me. This is serious. Um, This is important. And so he says, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, And someone should bring that person back. Remember this. So he's saying, just remember this this phrase, this truth, this statement that he's going to give us. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. So he says, people, remember this. This is something you've got to remember. This has got to be on your heart. This has got to be on your mind on a daily basis. This is something that is, this is the last thing I'm going to tell you in my letter. This is so important. And that's why I want to focus on these last two things. If you're going to conclude a letter, you're going to conclude it with something that's really important. Okay? You're not going to talk about the weather at the end of your letter. You're going to say, this is what I really want you to remember and to know. And he says this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. If you're a Christian today, this is your mission. James is reminding the people um, who are believers, who he wrote this letter to, that you have a mission. It's not just to not sin. His, his book is very uh, intense and it's very much, you're, you're not supposed to, you know, do this, this, this. And it, it has a lot to do with sin. But he says, man, if you can remember something, remember this. If you turn a sinner away from their ear, you will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. A multitude of sins. So today we're just going to talk, we're going to do some, uh, some lifeguard or life uh, uh, rafting rescue training uh, today. And, and I think the first thing that we've got to talk about 
is, is this, is number one, we've got to have a passion for the people who've fallen out of the boat. We have to have a passion for compassion. Um, I, I know that some of you, you're naturally a compassionate person and you care about people. And there are others of you, um, you're, you're, you have to work on this. It's like, you know, when you watch the, the TV show and, you know, and like, I don't know, they kill, they kill Bambi. And you're like, <laughs> like, Bambi got killed. And like everybody else is crying. You're like, oh, I wasn't supposed to laugh at that. You know, you're a person. You need to listen to this, okay? Um, you need to have a passion for compassion. He, he's saying, listen, you've got to remember the, the stakes at hand. The stakes at hand here in life is it is dangerous, and yes, people will fall out of the boat. People will um, stop believing in the truth of God. People will hear about God. People will hear about Jesus. People will even see pictures of the cross. And, but, but they're, they're going to come to the place where the voices in their, in their head, the, the voices of their peers, the voices of TV, the voices of the movies will outweigh what, what the word of God has said to them. And they're going to begin to believe something that's not true. They're going to begin to believe that maybe God doesn't care so much, if there even is a God, because if God really cared, then all these bad things wouldn't be happening to me, right? I mean, I can't believe I, I lost my job, that my marriage is in so much trouble, that my child did this, or I lost my parents, or, my, or there's a death in my family, or why can't I have more? And people get, get tossed by the waves, by the rapids, and they begin to believe a lie and they begin to to just finally walk away from the truth. The truth that God loves them. The the truth that God has a redeeming plan for their life through life in Jesus. And when you forget about that, you walk away from the truth. There is a great um, danger and there is life and death at stake. There is eternity in the balance. And he says, listen, remember, there there is something you need to be passionate about and it needs to be about people who are far from God. Now listen, the world has lots of messages of campaigns about trying to save people, don't we? I don't know if you watch TV, but there's all kind of ads about how to save people's lives. There's no smoking ads, right? All the time. There's the truth campaign. They have body bags and they do all these crazy commercials with body bags. It's, it's kind of nuts. And then um, if you've ever bought a box of candy or a Snickers bar or something like that, it says, say no to drugs. They're trying to save people's lies by telling them to say no to drugs. It really should say, don't eat this candy bar. <laughs> I don't know. That probably would be... It's just as good to don't eat this candy bar and don't do drugs because it's all bad. So, um, but, but we have these campaigns. I don't know if you've seen the commercials about the no texting and driving, uh, these new ads. Have anybody seen those where it'll say like the text message? This is the last text message that so-and-so saw or tried to send me before they died. And I don't... I don't know if you know, but these are families who have started this coalition who are paying for these ads. People, moms and dads, brothers and sisters who have, have fam- family members, kids, teenagers who have died because they were texting and driving and got in a car accident. It's just kind of like that, you know, mothers against drinking and driving. They came together for a cause. And the cause is this. They say, listen, we're passionate about people not texting and driving because we know the pain of how much it's cost them. We've lost a life because of it. Well, some of us, 
If you're a believer today, you need to feel the pain of what it's like um, to lose someone in, in the faith. In other words, there, there is a, a huge stake and it's eternity. And oftentimes people could just kind of blow by things and not really care. Listen, in my neighborhood just this week on Tuesday, there was a, a woman who died in my neighborhood. And there were police everywhere. There were uh, several ambulances there. Uh, the family had woken up to um, their mom dead uh, on the couch uh, early in the morning. Not, not a very fun thing to do. And at the scene, you know, my wife was actually taking a walk around the neighborhood and, and saw this happen. Um, but all these people, neighbors, came out of the houses and are all watching the chaos, right? And the neighbors, and just like you and I might would, were kind of standing around talking, like wondering when the world happened, what's going on. And rumors are kind of being passed around about what happened. Uh, one of the things people said is, well, we think she died of lung cancer. Another one is, you know, we think there might have been foul play by the husband and something like that. And so there's police there investigating the death. There's ambulances there trying to resuscitate the woman. And then there's just neighbors just kind of watching. Now, here's... What oftentimes happens is, well, not oftentimes, you, you are a person who's in one of these three groups of people. When it comes to people who are far from God and who are on a path of eternal destruction, we are either uh, people who are like just, just standby people, we're onlookers, and we kind of sit around and we, we look and we talk about it, and we go, hey, you see that so-and-so, they're, they're on their way to hell. Yeah, what do you, th- you know, what do you think about that? You know, and we kind of talk about them from a distance, or we just kind of pay no attention to it, or we are the police. We're investigators. We ask questions, and the police's job is there to um, try to place blame. Right? They're there to try to figure out who did this. What's the cause of death? What's what's the cause? Of this? And then and then place blame. Some of us are blame placers. Well, if that person wouldn't have done so-and-so, if they had never married that person, or if they wouldn't have started drinking, or if so-and-so wouldn't have happened, if, they, if only they'd have been coming to church, this wouldn't have happened to them. They'd stop coming to church, and then was, I knew it was going to be over after that. And there were blame people. Well, this is just what happens when you stop doing so-and-so. They stop, you know, coming to church. And so this is what happens. So some people just kind of act like police, and they just they blame everyone. Or they blame, or they try to place judgment. And then there's the paramedics. Now, a paramedic, when a paramedic arrives on the scene, does a paramedic try to do this? Hey, who is at fault here? I mean, why were you shot? I mean, did, did you shoot somebody else? Because if you did, I'm not helping you. Is that what they do? Right? I mean, how oftentimes, and, and I don't know if this ever upsets you, but it like gets me, I, and maybe this tells you how sick and mean I am, but like when, when you hear about criminals who went out and like, shoot people and they get shot by the police and then they go to the hospital and they save them like why don't you just leave them there and let them die you know that's sorry that's just me okay i'm i'm a bad person all right i fully admit that but but that's not a paramedic's job they don't come in and say hey why'd you shoot those people i'm not gonna pull that you know i'm not gonna stop the bleeding but they don't they just come in they place no judgment they place no blame they come in and help right what do you think, James, what do you think, God, what do you think Jesus would have the church be, would have you and I be? Do you think we're supposed to be onlookers, gossipers, neighbors, police placing blame? Are we supposed to be paramedics? What do you think? I, 
I, I think the answer is clear in the, in the scriptures, and I believe Jesus lived it. He was a paramedic. He was a paramedic. He was a help first, ask questions later. He was a help first, ask questions later. Um, that's where you and I need to be. A, a, a passion for, for compassion, to care about where people are because there's eternity at stake. The next thing that you would, uh, our RAF guide told us, he says, you know, you need to look and see where your, your partners are. If somebody falls out of the boat, you need to look and see who's missing. Oftentimes, some of us never even go looking. And what we need to do in life is we need to actually go looking for those who are, who are lost. We need to actively pursue them. My son, Thatcher, and I have, listen, I have six kids, and, and it's tough to keep up with all of them. But I have one child. Maybe you have one of these. I love him, but he's a space cadet. Okay, and uh, he's always somewhere else. He's just he's just a creative, and he's always thinking about other things. He's eight years old, and in the last two weeks, he's been lost. We've lost him twice in public. I'm I'm not joking. Like, and and the first time we lost him, we were in downtown Greenville. We were with another friend. Now we have six, so there's eight of us, and they had four kids. So that's ten kids, four adults. That's a lot of people. We were downtown Greenville on a Friday night. It was packed. And there were people everywhere. We took our friends there from out of town. And we took them through the, uh, like, Falls Park. And we said, hey, we're going to go up to uh, spill the beans and get some ice cream. So they're like, yeah, kid. And now my kids have been to downtown a lot of times. So they know the place. And oftentimes they'll just run ahead. Well, some of them just ran ahead. Well, when we got up to the top of the stairs, we were going to go to spill the beans. We just said, hey, let's go on the bridge. Well, my son Thatcher decided he wanted to go up on his own to spill the beans and wait for us there. So he goes up to spill the beans, and we all just start walking on the bridge. So we've got, I don't know, nine kids instead of, instead of ten, but nobody knows this because everybody's kind of just walking among the crowd. We walk all the way across the bridge, all, all the way to the other side, and we start walking up along the river on the other side of the river. And finally, I look around, and I go, hey, um, one, two, three. I go, where's, where's Thatcher? Everybody looks around. Everybody's kind of like, I don't know. You know, and we're just talking, having fun. And Thatcher is gone. And he's been, like, we've been hanging out on the bridge for like five, ten minutes. And he's, he's gone. And it is packed. I mean, people everywhere. So I start freaking out. Of course, mom's freaking out. So I go run. I run back across the bridge. And I'm, I'm looking everywhere. I go back down to the, um, towards the river. I come back up. And, I'm, and then all of a sudden I remembered. I bet he thought he went to spill the beans. So I go up the stairs to spill the beans. He's at the top of the stairs just standing there just crying. I'm like, oh, gosh, I'm the worst parent ever. Here's, you know, my kid. He lost. But, you know, he, he just wandered away. And finally, he, he was smart enough to stay where, he, stay where he was, where he got lost, and just wait for me. So, so that was good. But I, I was desperately seeking my son. I was looking for him. Then we lost him in the mall. Gosh, how do you lose a kid in a mall? I don't know. We went into a store, and he decided, he just was like, oh. You know, that's what he does. He just kind of goes. So he went somewhere else. We kind of go here. And then my wife and I were kind of separate. I was with a couple kids. She was with a couple kids. And it was like, he must have them. She must have them. But he ended up, a a mom found him because he looked lost. He started to cry. A mom found him. She got the mall cop involved. And then my wife gets a call from the mall cop. She's like, hey, we have your son. She's like, what? You have my son? She's like, one th- ah! you know. So, uh, so we lost two, two, two times in two weeks. What is wrong with us? I know we're bad parents. But, but we desperately were seeking for him. We didn't just go, oh, 
Okay, I'd, he'll wander in sometime, you know. Well, he'll make it back on his own. He's kind of like one of those dogs. You let him out, eh, he'll wander back in. We didn't do that. We went and chased him down and tried to find him. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus tells a story that is exactly about this, about those who've walked away, about those who don't know God, who, who've forgotten the love of God. Listen to Luke 15. This is Jesus speaking. Well, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering, gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. In other words, Jesus liked sinners. Gosh, terrible, right? Verse 3, Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than, the other, than, the, than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So Jesus tells this story about the shepherd who finds the lost one even though there's 99 there. Then he tells another story. He says, Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents, another over one person who comes to know God. The shepherd did not wait for the lost sheep to wander back in. The woman did not wait for the coin just to, to happen to show back up. I did not wait for my son to just find us. You would not do that either. But how oftentimes have maybe you said, if you're a Christian here, well, I hope they come to church. Maybe they'll stumble in one day. Maybe God will speak to their hearts and they'll just wake up one morning and decide they're going to follow him. Uh, Jesus didn't say that's how it was going to work. He, he said that there was this active a uh, passionate pursuit to restore what was lost to being what was found. So that we, if you're a believer, can't just say, hey, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna wait till they wander in. Boy, I sure do hope they go to church one day. I hope somebody tells them about Jesus. I hope somebody warns them because they're in trouble. That's being an on, that's just being a, a bystander, just an onlooker. You know, and, and Jesus has called us to be paramedics, to actively pursue, to go looking for those who are far away. One of the things that um, we said when we started our church is if someone wanted to go to church, they would. Listen, there's plenty of churches in our area, aren't there? And if someone woke up one day and they said, hey, you know, I really want to go to church. There's plenty of options for them to go to. There's some great churches in our community. And I, I support many of them, know many of the pastors, and, and love the ministries that a lot of the churches in our area have. Love them. And I'm glad that they're there. And we said, but that's not why we're starting a church. We're not starting a church for people who are just going to wake up and decide they're going to go to church one day. What about the other 75% of people who live in Greenville? I know you think everybody goes to church in Greenville, but that's not true. What about the other 75% of people? They say only about 25% of people actually attend church on a Sunday morning. 
are involved. And that's not even all those, of course, are, are believers and follow God. Those are just people who maybe out of guilt go from time to time. But so what about the other 75%? What are they doing? They're just kind of hanging at home. Are they going to just wake up one day? Or are we going to go, well, man, I hope they just wake up one day and decide they're going to go to church. Well, well then what do we do? Well, what our job then is, and we've always said from the beginning, we, when we started this church, we want it to be uh, an army of missionaries. And you might, not, you might be here and say, man, I'm not ready for that, and that's okay. But if, if you've been walking with God for any amount of time, you need to know that there is, um, there is uh, eternity at stake. And people are falling out of the boat. And we want people, uh, we want this church to be a place of rescue we want this place to be a well, a place of fresh water, a place of life, a place of hope for people who are lost. And they're not going to find it by us just saying, man, I hope they come to church this Sunday. They're, they're going to find it by us extending grace to them, by looking to them, by praying for them, by going after them, by actively pursuing those who are far from him. By us not just inviting them to church, but us inviting them into our life. Here's the radical thing. This is what's crazy. And, and this is my pet peeve sometimes with, with pastors who give people the opportunity to say, your only responsibility is just to invite people to church. I believe that is wrong. I believe that is sinful. I don't believe that is, that's Jesus at all. I believe Jesus would tell you, no, you need to invite them into your life and you need to, you need to lead them to Christ and, and disciple them. Jesus did not say, and here's my final call, invite people to church. No, he said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them and everything I've, I've taught you. And so his, his call for people who are believers are, are to, to go looking for those who don't know him, who need rescuing and bring them into your life to invite them into your home, to invite them into your, your personal friendships and say, hey, we want to love you into the, into the family of God. We want to invite you into our family and then into the family of God. That's what I want our church to be. So one of the things and the ways that we do this is we are um, starting to promote uh, every month we're going to be doing these things called connect events. And that's what, what we call a third place or just a neutral place where it's not a church environment. Sometimes, you know, you ask a person who doesn't want to go to church, hey, do you want to come to church? No, I don't want to go to church. If I wanted to go to church, I would. Right. But, hey, do you want to go out and eat pizza and, you know, hang out with uh, hang out with me and a couple of friends? OK, I'll go eat pizza. You know, so they'll do that. So what we want to do is we want to begin creating and promoting these monthly connect events, opportunities of third place of neutral environments where you can invest in a friendship, someone who's far from God, invite them to a safe place where they can feel safe. Like they're not going to be, you know, have a bun- have a preacher preaching at them or they're not going to have the Bible shoved down their throat, which is what people feel like they're going to do if they go to church, but they can experience people who love God. They can experience the grace of people who, who have experienced grace themselves and they can be loved on by the, by, by them, and then go, you know what? This, these people who are Christian people are, are okay. They're okay because they accept me right where I am. They're not judging me. They're not talking about me behind my back. They're not trying to place blame. They're not trying to be the policeman, but they're trying to be paramedics and they want to help me in my time of crisis. And so 
We want to we do that. We've got a, a, an opportunity for you at the Connect Lunch. All of our group leaders are going to have a little piece of paper. or They're, they're going to be promoting um, some different Connect events that are going to be happening this month. We want you to get involved in those. That's your opportunity to bring a friend, a neutral place that you know is far from God, that you can begin investing in them, invite them to something like that. And obviously, if somebody's willing to come to church, then invite them to church. That's fine. But oftentimes people are not willing. So we need to be regularly inviting them into our family, into our lives. Uh, and here's what we do. We need to, the, the, the last thing, the third thing I think that's so important is we just need to show grace, 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 grace. Listen, um, do you ever get tired of hearing about the grace of Jesus? Uh, why, do you, why do you think people like to hear about the grace of God? <laughs> because we so desperately need it all the time, don't we? And the thing that the church has oftentimes become is become a moral police, a, a bunch of moral police who, who place judgment and place blame and want to accuse and point fingers. And we don't want to do that. We want to be people who, who show grace. Um, and we want to show con- concern, not condemnation. Now, uh, the important thing is we always need to stand on what's right and what's wrong. That we never back down on. And I, I feel like people either take two camps because um, here's, like, for example, here's a great, this has been in the news, and it's kind of blowing over a little bit, but with just the homosexuality issue. And no matter where you stand on this, here's what happens, the truth is. If someone comes out, like poor Dan Cathy, he says, I'm for traditional marriage. I'm for traditional marriage. I'm married. I like being married, okay? And I believe the Bible says that, and, and it does say very clearly, homosexuality is wrong, and that uh, the Bible, a clear definition of marriage is one man, one woman and uh, and six kids, okay, and uh, and a dog. That's that's the clear definition. <laughs> um, so, so that's it. And so, but oftentimes, if someone says, "Hey, I'm for traditional marriage," now all of a sudden, the media because it's their job to make money. So how they make money is by riling everyone up and emotions. And so they say, "Oh, Chick Fil A is anti-gay," and they're they hate gay people and you know and so he didn't say that at all he just said i'm for marriage and and you know that and if you're married and you're for marriage then you can say that and people would say oh you're just anti-gay well and i think it's kind of twofold i think it's the media's fault because they want to make money and they want to make big mess a mountain out of a molehill but i think there's another thing too is that just we've kind of kind of brought it upon ourselves in the church over over years is because we have as the church been condemning instead of um, concerned about instead of a starting ministries and for homosexuals we start just ministries for homeless we don't start ministries for homosexuals um, but if we would have been starting ministries for homosexuals and for caring for them and for loving them in different ways maybe they would respond a little differently I don't know I, that's just me and so uh, we need to be careful about not showing condemnation. But here's what people will do. They say, well, I don't want to say anything because if I say anything, then people will automatically think I'm being judgmental. So we just step back and choose to say nothing and say, well, it's better if I say nothing because then no one will think I disagree with anyone. And that's what oftentimes now kind of the wave of new Christians are doing. Let's just not say anything and let's just be passive. Well, th- well that's not helpful at all. That's not helpful. Jesus was never passive about what he believed in about, about truth. It's the idea that we need to keep reminding each other of the truth. No, there is a truth, but we do it in a way that shows love and shows grace and shows concern and shows care and love for each person. 
And I believe you do that individually by inviting someone who's far from God into your life. Now, let's just say this. Let's say you have a friend who's struggling with homosexuality. If you're friends with them and if you love on them and you care about them as a person and you say, I'm for traditional marriage, are they going to think that you're condemning them and you hate them? No. If you have them over to your house and you have them over for dinner and you go out for pizza with them, are they going to think that if you say, hey, I'm for traditional marriage, but man, I'm sure to, you know, I understand your struggle and love you. Are they going to feel, no, they're not going to feel that way because you're, you're, you're saying it in the right way. Do you need to say it? Absolutely. Do you need to preach the gospel of truth? Absolutely. But you, but you need to love them on top of that. You need to be praying for them. You need to listen to them. Here's what I've, I, sometimes as a parent, I do this, and maybe you have done this as a parent or you do this to people. I, I see, I hear an argument. I see a disaster. I hear screams. And the first thing I want to do is go, all right, who am I beating? You know, it's like, it's like I get this spoon. I'm like, all right, how many spangers do I have to give? All right, who, how many people am I going to kill today? You know, it's just, I, and so I'm quick to judge, quick to judge, quick to judge. But you know, when I actually sit down and begin to listen to the story of what happened, You know, what I discover is oftentimes there's reasons behind the screaming. There's reasons behind the behavior. And if you were to listen to to the people in your life who are walking far from God and hear their story, you would hear a story of probably uh, heartache, of hardship, of maybe abuse in their family, of maybe how I was was burned by the church. I went to this church and they they hated me and they, they they turned their back on me or I had this Christian friend who went to church and they slept with my girlfriend or they, you know, something happened or I had this mom or this dad who went to church, but yet they were abusing me and sleeping around. You know, that happens all the time. And if you would just sit and listen to them, you would hear their story. You would become compassionate for them and be able to speak grace into their life. And so uh, James would call us at the very end to remember this. Remember this. Whoever, whoever rescues someone, whoever turns away a sinner, he rescues that person from death. Rescues that person from death. I mean, that's way more important than a say no to drugs campaign. That's way more important than a no texting while you're driving campaign. Because if I get in a car wreck and I die, I'm going to go be with Jesus, and that's okay. But there are many, many people who, in most of our world, the majority of the people in our world who do not know God, they've been burned by people who know God, and they're far from Him, and they're lost. And they need to be brought back in to the boat. One of the things I, I want you to do, and I, I, I want me to do this as well, is I just want to begin praying for those and just just take just start with three people. Just say, God, just put three people on my heart that I need to begin praying for, that I can invite into my family. You can't win the world. You can't win everyone, and you're not going to win everyone. You're going to float by some people, and you're going to say, get in the boat. Let me help you. And they're going to say, I don't want help. Get away from me, you weirdo. And, and you know what? That's going to happen. It happened to Jesus. In fact, the, here's the crazy thing about Jesus. The only, the just, Jesus cried just a few times recorded in the Bible. He cried in the Garden of Gethsemane because he was about to go on the cross. We'll give him an excuse for crying. He's about to face torturous death, okay? Um, he, he cried at the death of his friend Lazarus. And then you know in the, the other time he cried? It's the shortest verse in the Bible. It says, Jesus wept. It's when he uh, was kind of up on a hill looking over the city of Jerusalem. 
And God just kind of opened his eyes for the lostness, for how far the people of Jerusalem were from God. Jesus was right there in their midst, there to save them, there to rescue them. And they were not interested in rescue. And it broke his heart. He just began to weep and cry. His heart was broken because he saw people who were far from God that he knew, he knew would never turn to him and would never let him rescue them. Did that stop him? Did he say, well, there's a bunch of people who are going to say no, so I guess I should quit. No, he said, I'm going to go after and keep going after those who will be rescued. And it's the same way for us. We need to, even though one has rejected us, one said they haven't rejected us, they've rejected God. We just continue looking for those and continue praying for those who are far from God, who, who might want to be rescued, who might want to come to know God. So my call to you is to begin praying for those who are far from God and then share, share with them. Be bold enough. Don't just invite them to church, which is great. Invite them into your life. Share grace with them. Invite them to a third neutral place. Invite them out to pizza. Invite them in, into your community group or something like that. So, so important. Um, the band's going to come up. They're going to uh, play a song. I want to pray for us. Maybe you're here today and, and you're lost and you even find that offensive for me to say a word like lost. And the word lost means you don't know God. And you might find that offensive. Let me just tell you, I'm, I'm sorry it's offensive, but um, I want to tell you the truth is that when we don't know God, we have a, a loving God, but he is a just God. And we will all stand before him when we die. And I want you to stand before him and him to say, I, I welcome you into heaven because of Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus and you've not placed your life in him, then that will not be what is said. And I, wanna, I want you to be rescued. And I want you to, to, to know him. It's super easy. You have a personal relationship with Jesus and you follow him. You trust in him and what he said. And so no, you don't just become a good person. No, you, you place your life in the hands of Jesus. And if you're interested in knowing more about that, we'd love to talk to you after church. Um, I'd love for you to come up and find me or anybody here who knows God. Uh, talk to them. Talk to the person who brought you this morning. Have them share with you what it means to know Jesus and be found by him. Uh, I want you to stay seated, but I want you to sing out this last song called The Lost is Found. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to down a cross. That although we were far from you, although we were sinners, you came near to us. You, you offered us the, the, the life of forgiveness and hope in your son Jesus. Thank you. We love you and help us to be those who would seek after those who were lost. In Jesus' name, amen.